Welcome. If you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River Church. It's a particular joy to welcome you on this day, which we're referring to as Commitment Sunday. We're renewing the covenant promise that we have with the Lord that we will be good stewards of the vision He's entrusted to us, the mission that He's given to us to take the good news of Jesus to everyone we know, everywhere we go. So we're celebrating that today, and we're thanking him that he's given us that great privilege. We're going to unpack that for just a little bit this morning. Before I start that, I want to just pause for a second and say thank you to Stephen Almo and all the people on the communications team. New website, new signs, new logo, great job team. Way to go. So thankful for the hard work you do. It's often unsung, and I'm deeply, deeply thankful for it. Uh, One heart, one mission. Uh, Psalm 133 says that the Lord commands his blessing where there is a place of unity. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And God commands his blessing in that place. And so it's very important for us from time to time, every church does this, uh, to go into a season where we reflect on and we renew our commitment to the mission that God's entrusted to us. And while there's nothing new in what we've been saying, really, we are using some new language to describe what was entrusted to this congregation over half a century ago when it was founded. And we're believing that what God began there through the work of David Nicholas and so many others, in which Tommy, of course, stewarded with his remarkable ministry here for many years, is something that God will continue to engage people in in the years to come. And each and every single one of us have a part to play in that. And that's why we're renewing our commitment to that today. And we're, we're using some words to describe this mission, this work that we do, this vision that we have. Uh, the vision language is from Ezekiel chapter 47. It's where we, we started here in this guide, One Heart, One Mission, Ezekiel 47. Everything will live where the river goes. That God wants to have a river of life that not only flows towards you, but through His grace and through His Holy Spirit flows from you. Jesus said that if you take a drink that He offers, that that little drink will become in you a river that flows out, that brings life everywhere it goes. Fulfilling what Ezekiel saw hundreds of years before, where he saw a renewed, glorified house of the Lord. And from there flowed life. God puts the church in the world and he puts the Christian in the world to be a person and a community of people through which he may extend the boundaries of his love and his mercy and his kindness. And so we are here as the body of Christ not only upwardly called in worship and not only inwardly called towards each other in community, but called outward into the world to be a people of service, a people of witness and mission. We can't do that in our own strength. We have to have a life that is the Lord Jesus' life. It's not a river of our lives flowing out. It's a river of His life flowing from us towards others because the church can save no one, but Jesus can save everyone. And so that <laughs> there was a smattering of applause there on that. It was it was a great line. Okay, let's, um, what, <laughs> I want to read for you a, a text this morning from a, 
and a prophet who doesn't get nearly enough attention. An Old Testament prophet, when people even see his name, they go, not sure how to say that. I think I'll just skip it. Habakkuk. All right. And if you try that in a spelling check, you know, you're going to probably get it wrong, okay? But we're going to turn there, Habakkuk chapter 2. And as you'll see, it's actually one of the most important prophets in the whole Old Testament because of particularly one thing that he says in the text we're going to read here in chapter 2. Listen to what the prophet Habakkuk said. I will take my stand at my watch post. I'll station myself on the tower. And I'll look out to see what the Lord will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me. So he goes out to this place and he goes, I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see something from God. And God comes to him. That's what every one of us need every Sunday. You take your place. We all want God to speak to us. And that's what happened to this man. And here's what the Lord said to him. It's what he's saying to us this morning. Write the vision down. Make it plain on tablets so that he who reads it may run. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the goal, to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Would you say that with me? Wait for it. That's like on every meme you see now. Wait for it. Little, little film. Little. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, and it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Does that line ring a bell? The just shall live by faith. That's the line that's quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 1 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation because to the Jew first and also to the Greek because in it the righteousness of God is revealed even as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul's message for the whole world that the way humanity is made right with God is not through trusting in anything we've done, but by putting the whole weight of our lives on everything that Christ has done, his life, perfectly fulfilling the law that we could never fulfill, dying and bearing the penalty which we deserved, but which he bore in our place, and then rising from the dead, putting our trust in him, in the blood that he shed on the cross, that's how we're made right with God. That's what Habakkuk was looking at. And it was hundreds of years off. And God said, I'm giving you a vision of the gospel. And I'm going to need you to give yourself to that vision. But it's, it's going to take time. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a particularly patient individual. I'm not. I mean, I stand in front of microwaves tapping my feet. Right? <laughs> My finger is going, could we hurry this along? I'm an impatient person by nature. It's why I think for my personal sanctification, God sent me to Boca so I could sit at traffic lights in this city. I do. I think that was part of the plan of God. 
So I'm just sitting there going, please change. The second coming is going to occur before this light changes. I know it. Just be, you know, the rapture. Boom, gone. Greater traffic jams than ever before. Okay. But part of what God's people always do is they wait. They wait on the Lord. God, he told Jeremiah, does this. I watch over my word to perform it. We're about to enter into the season of Advent. That is a season which has been in some ways ransacked by the commercialism of our time in which Christmas, which comes at the end of December, has been backed up into this season called Advent, which is not Christmas. Advent is a season of preparation, of waiting, of longing. That's why the great Advent hymns are have words like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. And the whole atmosphere of that hymn when it's sung is one of longing. It doesn't quite fit with jingle bells. <laughs> no, but you see, God's people know how to celebrate. We know how to sing joy to the world. We know how celebration works, but there are seasons in our lives of lamentation, of longing, of waiting, of hoping. And God answers the longing of his people, but he does it in his time. And so when we talk about a commitment to a vision and a commitment to a, a mission, we have to be a people who understand that what we're being summoned into is not something where you just add water and stand back, where there's just some instantaneous outbreak. It's often something which we incrementally sow into time, resources, our love, our hearts. We give ourselves to each other. We give ourselves to others in witness. You may witness to someone for 20 years, 25 years, could be even longer, before you see the seed of faith generated in their soul. But God has a time in everyone's life. Think about your own life. Some of you grew up in church, but it wasn't until you were 30 or 40 or even 50 years old, maybe 80 years old, like a man I talked to just a few Sundays ago, before you actually came alive in Jesus Christ. But God had a time in your life where you heard him call you. He has a time in a city. He has a time in a nation. He has a time in a church. And you and I are called to see the vision, take a stand, look at the vision, and wait for it. And God says it's going to come at just the right time. That's why we have to have commitment to it. Commitment is not a word which people use very much, I think, well. We've really dumbed down that word. Let me show you what I mean by commitment. I just want to unpack these words for you briefly this morning. Commitment is a sustained devotion to definite practices over the course of time. You do this with your children. Those of you who are parents, you're committed to them. And it's incremental, isn't it? You, you uh, don't give them giant meals every single day. At least that's not wise. But you just give them what they need that day. And it's a bowl of cereal and it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and it's, you know, fish sticks, which will not be at the marriage supper of the lamb, let's face it. And um, <laughs> it's terrible stuff. But you keep, you keep giving these little things to small children and what happens? They turn into adults. They grow up and it was just incremental. And then suddenly they're walking down an aisle and you're standing there going sunrise 
sunset, sunrise, sunset. When did she get to be a beauty? When did he grow to be so tall? Wasn't it yesterday when they were small? And that's my Fiddler on the Roof reference for the day. <laughs> there will be many over the years. <laughs> Incrementally, we're in ways we couldn't even see unless we got pictures out and compared them. Change has occurred. Vision has been realized. Dreams and hopes have come true. Not because the kingdom arrived like the 101st Airborne invading but with humility and gentleness and kindness and service and a prayer here and a gift there, the mercy and the love of Jesus began to permeate a people and permeate a city, and it begins to change whole cultures because that's the way it works. You see, when God came into the world, he came not on a war horse, but as a helpless baby and was nourished and incrementally grew and said, my kingdom is like a tiny seed, and it will grow, and it will fill the world. Daniel saw it as a tiny stone that was cut out without hands, and it struck the empires of the world, and they crumbled. And then that tiny little rock became a mountain that filled the world. You are part of that movement of the incremental and the tiny. And it means commitment to the small, commitment to the little commitment to those things over an extended period of time. My mom was at a wedding. This was about 20 years ago. It was one of those weddings where the couple wrote their own vows. And sometimes that's cool. And sometimes, oh my gosh. <laughs> and my mom was at this wedding and, and they, they said, this was their vows to each other. I promise to be with you as long as our love shall last. My mom said, I should have given them paper plates. <laughs> That's not the way marriage works, is it? No, no the, co the covenant, the commitment is because it's for the long haul, despite it all. We're together when the love runs out. You see, and that takes vision. What is vision? Well, vision... Again, we're committed to a vision is seeing beyond our personal chronologies and our abilities to kingdom priorities. The Bible's full of people like this who looked beyond their personal chronologies, who saw the promise of God from afar. Hebrews chapter 11 says that these people died without receiving the promise. There are whole generations of God's people whose whole purpose, God's purpose in their generation was simply to pass the promise forward. You know, God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to deliver your people, your sons and daughters, from a great tyranny after 400 years. Well, what if you'd been a Jewish person in Egypt and it's year 200? You go, man, I wish we could get out of here now. But you're going to have to wait how much longer? You're not going to see it. What's your job? Pass the promise forward. That's, that's often the job. Pass it to the next generation. You know, whenever I see a news report that says Florida man, I always duck, okay? But there was, there was a, a Starbucks drive-through, uh, you know, here in Florida yesterday that had a streak going of 480 cars where somebody bought a drink for the person behind them. Yeah, it was great. 
And then this guy saw that reported on the news, and he went, well, somebody's got to stop that. <laughs> and he actually drove over, got in line, and when he got to the window, he ordered the two drinks, and the lady said, would you like to buy a drink for the person? Mind you, the person in front of you bought one for you, one of your two drinks. Would you like to buy one? And he said, no. No, I drove over here to put a stop to this. This is completely silly. we got to end this. You know, sometimes the commitment means you look at the children in the children's work and you sing to them and you teach them. And here's, here's what you know. They're not just beautiful little children. Those are grandmother and grandfathers in the making. What kind of grandparents will they be often depends on the kind of person we are right now towards them. What will their grandchildren be like? And so vision has to do with living beyond our time. If you go to Florence, Italy, and you see the Santa Maria del Fiore, the beautiful dome there in that church which dominates its skyline, the foundation stone from that church was laid in 1296. In 1336, the dome was designed. The dome was designed. But the technology to build the dome did not exist in the moment that it was designed. And every year, the church wardens, the elders in effect, had to put their hand on the Bible and swear that they would not change the design of the dome. Every year, they had to renew their commitment, we're not going to back off the design of the dome, even though the technology to build this dome doesn't exist yet, we're going to wait it out until the day comes when we can do this. And they waited, and they waited until 1418, and a contest was opened up for anybody that could create the technology to build this dome. And it was won not by an architect or an artist, but by a local watchmaker who figured out the engineering to put it up. And then finally, in 1438, the work was completed only 260 years after it started. Take your stand, Habakkuk. You see the vision? Wait for it. Would you say that with me? Wait for it. And you see, this is a mission then that we've been given. So you see, as the vision comes to pass, everything will live where the river flows. We have work that we do. What's mission? Mission is the work we're doing right now. The mission is the work that we engage in while we're waiting for God to fulfill all that he has said would come to pass. So we describe it this way. We believe that every person needs Jesus. We believe that every person who believes in Jesus needs a great church home so they can grow in their faith and be equipped in their faith. And so because we believe that every person needs Jesus and every believer needs a great church to call home, then our mission as a church is to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to our members, to our neighbors, and the nations in every generation through the power of the gospel, the just will live by faith, that's the power. The gospel is what saves people. We're going to do that in every generation through the word preached through deeds that testify of who God is and signs that God alone can do. In word, deed, and sign. That's how Paul said, I fully preach the gospel, Romans chapter 15, in word and deed and sign. And so, beloved, as we bring the gospel to the world, as we bring it to one another, we always need to preach the gospel to each other. Why? Because we forget it. We are spiritual amnesiacs. We forget who we are. We get, we get more discipled by the news cycle than the good news of God from heaven. 
And so because we are formed, we are being formed, and you are either being formed by this age, by the spirit of this age, it's rage, it's anger, it's tempest, it's greed, it's desires, it's lusts, or you are being transformed by the truth of the gospel and the word of God. And so we have to go on this mission together. We have to bring it to each other. We have to bring it to our neighbors. We have to bring it to the nations. We have to do that for every generation, young and old. And we have to do that with the good news of Jesus. And that leads us to this final issue, which is values. Values. What do I mean by values? Well, values are the posture of our hearts while we're doing that work. You see, you can have the right vision... And you can have the right mission. You can even have the right message. But if you hold the Bible out as a weapon by which you harm people rather than a message of grace and mercy by which people are one, then you've not reflected the posture of heaven. Go and compel them to come in. I want my house to be full. That was the master of the banquet. Go and get everybody from the highways, from the byways, from the margins. Bring them in that my house may be full. How many of you believe that heaven is going to be standing room only? It will be that on that great day. And that's going to be because Christians have gone into the world not saying we're here. We have the answers. When a Christian church goes on mission, we don't bring Jesus to where he isn't. We join him where he is already working. We partner with him where he's already at work. Do you think you're bringing Jesus to us? You are not all that. No, he's there. He's working. He's saying, come out here and join me. What was his posture? What was his posture as he came on mission? He said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. What was his posture? Who, although he existed in the form of God, here's how Paul described his posture, the posture of Jesus. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be held onto. He emptied himself and took on human form made in the likeness of men, and then became a servant, obedient to his father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most shameful, horrible way to die in the ancient world. He took on all the shame, naked, hanging there between heaven and earth, because he said, you see the rulers of the Gentiles? You see the CEOs? You see the way the politicians work? They rule over you. They step on you. It is not so among you. The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. My friends, today is Christ the King Sunday. You have a king. Every king in history enlisted his people to go and die for him. You have a king who said, I will come and die for you. What a king. And the posture of this king is to be in our hearts. And that's where I need to end today. Because the expression of this commitment is not something I put down in your study guide, this devotional guide that we've worked through. We've worked through a whole bunch of things, gospel-centered living, Brian's excellent message to us last Sunday. What a message on being centered in the Scripture. Jeff Lee brought us a wonderful message on community. We've talked about generosity. We've talked about hospitality. We've talked about worship. 
I've saved something for today that is about this posture. Because, you know, it's not as though if we appeared in prayer before God and said, hey, Lord, have you seen our wonderful church? Have you seen our amazing facilities? Have you heard our wonderful musicians? Have you seen our astonishingly good-looking deacons? <laughs> we have the best session. Lord, look at how great we are. Please send your blessing. How far up does that prayer rise? <laughs> and you go, well, I would never say anything like that, especially about the deacons, Pastor. I would never say that. <laughs> I would not ever pray that. But there can be an interior attitude in our hearts that really says, you know, I think we're something. I think God kind of, I mean, if he was going to bless anybody, he'd probably, you know, I don't, I mean, probably bless us. I mean, just saying. But God resists the proud, the Bible says. He resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. The humble. Listen to what the Scripture says. If my people, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, many of you know this verse. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If my people will what? Humble, pray, seek, turn. Today's a day of prayer and feasting, and thank God for that. That's why I'm preaching a short sermon. We've got to get out of here and get some hot dogs. Okay, but don't get used to it. That's all I'm saying. All right, so what am I, what am I saying to you? I'm saying this. Prayer and feasting today, but in the new year, in March, first Wednesday in March, we're going to gather for a night of prayer and worship, just a, a, an incense meeting where we minister to the Lord, and we're going to have a season of prayer and fasting in the church, and we're going to seek the Lord, and we're going to fall on our faces, and brothers and sisters, we got to do some carpet time. we got to get on our faces before God, and we got to seek Him, and we got to ask Him to send His strength. Send his strength. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do most of the stuff I want you to do. No, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, I was praying for Tony's dad. He was about to have open heart surgery. And uh, some years ago, praying over him, and surgery went well, and that's all fine. But at, in, the, in the room down the hall was one of, one of their friends. And he was going to have the same surgery the next day. So, I'm going to go over and pray for him. So in all my years of ministry, it's the only time this has ever happened. I walked into his room, sat down, talked with him for a minute, and I said, well, hey, would you like me to pray for you? Now, you know, I'm a professional Christian. That's what I do, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody's ever said, no, thanks, you know. So I said, would you like me to pray for you? And he just looked at me and he went, no, nah, I think I got this. I think I got this. I was so mad. I was so mad. How dare you, man? This is what I do for a living. I'm really good at this, you know? I was so mad. He doesn't want me to pray for him. And I, I walked out of his room like, oh, I got this. I got this. I got this. And I got in the elevator. I'm all the way into the elevator. I got this. That's just great. I hope you got this. I got this. And in that moment, the Lord spoke to me. Now, I'm a Presbyterian, so I'll just say it occurred to me. 
<laughs> it occurred to me. The Lord spoke to me. It was the Lord. And he said, every morning, you don't pray. You're saying to me, I've got this. It's like, dang. Because that was a lot of mornings right then. When a church says, we don't need to pray, here's what we're telling God. We've got this. But you know what, friends? We ain't got this. You can have vision, you can have mission, you can have posture, but we ain't got this. We ain't got this until we fall on our faces and we say, Lord, only you come and do the things at Spanish River Church that only you can do. So that when people say it, they don't say, look what Spanish River did. They say, look at what God has done. Look at what the Lord has done. Only God could have saved that person. Only God could have delivered that person. Only God could have shaken the city like our city has been shaken. Look at what God has done at Olympic Heights High School. Look at what God has done at Spanish River High School. Look at what God has done at Spanish River Christian School. Not what we have done, what God has done. Where does that come from? If my people... If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll come, I'll show up, I'll heal. My friends, we just talked about having a vision that spans time, a mission, and a posture. Why do we have it? We have it because we have a Savior who had a vision that spanned eternity past to eternity future, and it included you. And he came on a mission to save us, to save sinners like me, to heal us. And he came with a posture that said, I will spread out my arms on a cross and I will die for you. I will bleed for you. And he did it. And his hands are still stretched out this morning. They're stretched out to you saying, come, come to me. Put your trust in me. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, the just shall live by faith. Put your trust in him. If you are weary and discouraged as a Christian today, look at those stretched arms of Jesus. He's reaching to you. Trust him. If you're discouraged as a church, though it tarries, listen to what God said to the prophet. You see the vision? Though it tarries, what? Wait for it. It will surely come. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we seek your face. We thank you for sending your son on the great mission. We thank you for sending him to be our savior. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. And we now, here at your table, commit ourselves to this vision, this mission, and we long for it and we pray that you will help us to steward it wisely and to steward it prayerfully and humbly and to do this, Lord, knowing that the day dawns soon when wherever the river flows, everything will live. Amen.